Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into top 10 new August films in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? What is this? The um, wounds from the last episode are still fresh, uh, but the the show must go on, and um, yeah, so we have ten, ten films um, that I saw for the first time in August that I'm going to talk about, August 2018 specifically, and uh, there's there's more new films this month than I think any of the months that I've been doing this uh, at four, four new films, four films in a foreign language, one short film. Uh, so um, yeah, it's it's a pretty, again, I don't think I'm ever going to have a list that's, you know, all new stuff or, or, or no new stuff or, you know, doesn't have some, I don't know, hint of variety to it, I suppose, is what I'm getting at. So, starting off with the number 10 film in August. I saw it August 19th, 2018. I have done a podcast episode on this movie, so we won't go to spend too long on it. It's a 2018 film with uh, a running time of about 109 minutes, so uh, a little shy of two hours. Uh, I gave this movie a 75. It currently had uh, last time I looked, it had a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, and my summary is a black police officer goes undercover in the KKK, and that is Black Klansman, uh, directed by Spike Lee, starring John David Washington, Adam Driver, Laura Harrier, Topher Grace, Corey Hawkins, among others. Um, talked about this movie already. I think it's quite good. Uh, it's not top-tier Spike Lee for me. Um, I can say that in the time since uh, I talked about it specifically on the podcast, uh, it, it is now down to just two Circle of Film Award nominations, currently Spike Lee for Director and Screenplay. So um, Spike Lee and, and his writing team uh, for Screenplay. Uh, so both John David Washington and Adam Driver have fallen off the acting list categories um, within the last two weeks or so, uh, which is unfortunate. You know, I like this movie. I like these actors. I like the characters. There's some really fantastic moments in this movie. Um, but um, it, it does, you know, it, it does have some pacing issues. It does have uh, a lot of hiccups and such and such. Um, 109, that seems wrong. Because I am, Letterboxd lists it at 135. It's probably 129. And instead of, and I said two hours and nine minutes, and I put 109 minutes. No. Uh, let's see. Um, moving on from that. Uh, I, I don't know what kind of buzz this movie's going to hold on to throughout the rest of the award season as we're just kind of getting started in that. Um, we're in festival mode right now. 
the whole, you know, best popular film not happening this year. It's great news. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if this is going to have the the legs to keep it up, but I hope I hope it does. I hope it makes some noise. I hope it's it's not kind of forgotten the way Detroit was. I think Black Klansman is a really good movie, and um, you know, my tenth favorite movie of August that I saw for the first time, and is still currently one of my favorite movies of 2018. It's it's funny. It's poignant. It's it's a, it's a very strong, important movie that, you know, despite a few flaws, uh, is is really worth seeing and and um, goes a long way towards um, helping to understand some of the some of the things happening in the country right now, and uh, I think that is an important aspect of the film. So, Black Klansman is my number ten from August with a score of 75, 75, so pretty strong month altogether, uh, pretty strong month. Number nine uh, is one I haven't talked about, this is a foreign language film that I saw August 1st, uh, might even have been the first film I watched this month, I'm not sure, it's 114 minutes long, just shy of two hours, it is a 2012 film, and uh, my, my summary an ad ex- executive is asked to work against extending the rule of the current military leader. Uh, so the election committee, I think, uh, uh, for the opponent of the current sitting dictator in Chile is um, asking this guy, uh, who play- who is played by Gael Garcia Bernal, to work against the, the current power structure. Uh, and, um, yeah, uh, I have it at a 76 right now. It had a set 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. And the movie is called No. It is directed by Pablo Lorraine. Pablo Lorraine, director of Jackie. It's the only other film of his I've seen, which I like, but I don't think is good altogether. Uh, you know, in it won... Um, a Circle of Film Award for for Natalie Portman is her portrayal as Jackie. It is currently the lowest rated film on my spreadsheet that has won a Circle of Film Award at a 57. Uh, But I like to know a lot more than this. Um, So I am not really um, uh, aware and and such about... uh, what was really happening at this time, you know, era, and it took place in 1988, and, um, and you know, I, I was not born yet, I wasn't really, and even after that, you know, I never really read up about Chile and what was going on. Basically, what happened was uh, there, there was a lot of pressure on the current leader, the military dictator of Chile at that time, Augusto Pinochet, and so the country... It is go- was going to vote on extending his rule for another eight years, yes or no. And the no campaign leaders, the opposition leaders, hire Gael Garcia Barnal's character, uh, Rene Saavedra, uh, to, to spearhead their campaign. And despite being outmanned, outgunned, outfinanced, etc., uh, they, they really set about uh, with a pre- crazy plan that that 
you know, it kind of comes out of left field. You know, you're not really expecting what he's doing. And, you know, he, he kind of comes up with this pretty creative strategy uh, to, to defeat uh, Pinochet. And, Pinochet. and it's, it's really fascinating. It's, it's really exciting to sort of watch these machinations take place. You know, it's not super dissimilar from what I imagine is going on in uh, the United States during their own ad campaigns, during their own things like that. I think there's a lot of overlap and similarities going on there. I think you've got a fantastic performance from Gael Garcia Bernal in this movie. And, you know, it, it's... it's fa it, The film itself, you know, it's a 2020, 2012 film that takes place in 1988, and it looks like a VHS-quality movie. Uh, I remember when I started watching it, I was really wondering... Um, what year it came out because I, I had remembered seeing it was a 2020 or a 2010s film and I was like That's, that doesn't seem right, it doesn't look like that it doesn't feel like that but it's a stylistic choice and I think it works, I think it really does work it helps put you in that time period you know, VHS quality films are really uh, you know, you can rem you remember that be what t year that was and you know, when I was a kid, all I watched was VHS. And, you know, I can remember rewinding and, like, the lines on the screen. And uh, this is, uh, you know, that's what this looks like. And so it really helps kind of root you in that 1988 year, uh, or at least time period. And, because I th and I think what the best part of that and what really benefits that is, you know, especially for people who aren't from Chile or had no idea what was going on in Chile at this time, you know, if I the best way for me to get back to that time is to think, well, where was I at that time? What was I doing? What were things like for me, you know, outside of Chile in America or wherever it was? And I think Lorraine, by using this method, whether or not you remember what was going on in Chile, you can at least remember that, you know, oh, I was such and such years old. This was 30 years ago when I was watching VHS tapes. Um, you know, I was just a kid or I was a new parent or, or you know whatever it was where you when you were at that age and at least it thinks oh so when i was doing that this was happening and i love that angle that he he provides for you i think that's a phenomenal decision uh you know very stylistic uh you know a little bit of a risk but it really does pay off in my opinion it's it's a great great decision um that was my favorite sort of technical element of the film. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, 76 is, it's really good. Um, as far as like what kind of keeps it down that low, uh, it's a little long, I think parts of it, once you know what the strategy is, um, a couple of parts of the movie are, are somewhat repetitive in, 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 in how they proceed. Which, you know, isn't isn't the worst thing in the world by any means. But it does kind of hold the movie back uh, just a little bit from from sort of exploding into, into you know, a much higher tier for me. For me. Um, so for me, that's Pablo Lorraine's No from 2012, starring Gael Garcia Bernal. Give it a 76. And it is my number nine that I saw in August. August. 
Number eight is a 2001 film. It is the short film of the list. It is an Oscar-winning short film. Uh, at 36 minutes, I saw it August 26th, 2018. Uh, it is summary. Two farm owners bring in an accountant to save the farm. It has no Rotten Tomato score, but I gave it a 78. 78. Uh, directed by Ray McKinnon, starring Ray McKinnon, Walton Goggins, and Eddie King. It is The Accountant. No, not Ben Affleck. It is Ray McKinnon, who is The Accountant. Uh, Walton Goggins and Eddie King play the Odells. Uh, they own a farm. It is not doing so, so well. They need help financially. And uh, Ray McKinnon enters the scene. And he is just you know, absolutely incredible, absolutely incredible. He owns this movie from start to finish. He directed it. He wrote it. He is the star. He is the scene stealer. The the spotlight is on him, and uh, his his fantastic southern draw, his ability to um, just just completely turn on a dime and you know he he leads these conversations he leads these monologues these soliloquies through down us down a, a lane and ultimately just twists it and and you know you you most of the time you you think you know where he's heading and it's not where he ends up and you know he's just this he just he just kind of embodies all these very obviously clashing uh, personality traits, you know, he comes in, you know, he's smoking the whole time, he's, he's drinking, you know, he, it, it, you know, he's, he's talking about the farm, and, like, obviously the money involved in the farm, but, like, he goes, it, it just, it keeps going one step further than that, and it keeps going one step further than that, and you get him, uh, in this, in this situation where, you know, he's, like, looking, or, He's already looked, but he's he's examining all these finer details, these these minutia of of account accounting, and you know Eddie King is kind of sitting there like dumbfounded at all these things that he knows and he can say, and he he explains, and he's you know like oh I remember you've been spending this much money on this 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 that must mean this, and it's a fascinating look into, you know, kind of the, the finer details of accounting, and, you know, it might be exaggerated a little bit, you know, to, to add the drama, the flair, but it wasn't a bother to me, it didn't matter to me that that happened. Uh, it's, it's really, I, I can't praise Rick McKinnon enough in this movie, I, I really do think he's outstanding. Walton Goggins, uh, supporting character, um, less, in the movie, less than Eddie King is, uh, you know, he, is one of the producers, helps get the movie made. I'm really glad it did. It did win an Oscar for it, uh, which is amazing. And I don't know, it's just a really fun, exciting, high-energy short film. Uh, I think it's on Amazon or, or like, YouTube. You can find it. Like, I found it online free. Uh, but it's really, I believe, worth uh, the watch. I think it's pretty brilliant and... Uh, you know, just the the chemistry that exists between McKinnon, Goggins, and King, and how Goggins and King just kind of like give him exactly what McKinnon needs to uh, get this point, get his point across. You know, he 
that they're not you know really stealing the spotlight from him, but they have to do just enough to you know make him seem like he is a genius and they do he and he does feel that way you know i totally buy that this is a you know this guy's an accountant and he's you know he would spend hours and hours and hours scouring over these numbers uh to to absolutely perfect his knowledge of them up into the point where he has to you know expose all these intimate details uh it is it's a ride. It's a long movie. Like I said, it's about 36 minutes, so it's a pretty long short film, all things considered. But it is it is super fun. It's super fast, and you will be... I don't know. I, I was very excited watching it the whole time. I, I had a really great time uh, exposing myself to this short film and, and really coming to uh, like it quite a bit. So for me, number eight this month is The Accountant. Uh, from uh, 2001 with a score of 78. 78. Moving on to number 7, um, which also gets a 78, but its Rotten Tomato score is 100% right now. It is a 1953 film. This is another foreign language film. Uh, I saw this August 15th, 2018, and I clocked it at one hour, uh, 135 minutes, 2 hours and 15 minutes. With the summary, an old couple visit their children. The uh, film is directed by Yasujira Ozu. It's the first film of Ozu's that I have seen. Pretty renowned Japanese director and writer. Uh, and that film is Tokyo Story. Um, an old couple visit their children uh, and grandchildren. And that's pretty much the whole film. It's pretty slow. It's pretty pretty just like emotional beats of a movie and the general conceit is that these this old couple are trying to spend all this time with their kids and their grandkids and um, these kids and grandkids don't have time for them they they constantly are rushing off to do other things trying to push the couple into uh, inconvenient circumstances and situations that are better for them and better suited for them and uh, it, it's really depressing <laughs> in that way you know it's it's like really playing up this um, I don't know it's it's really important to respect the elders you know that's a very big thing that's a very big through line in in life in in history and this is kind of just exactly not that uh you know ozu um he 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 really uh, it's a fa- it's a fascinating film you know it's it's i said it's very slow and it is it is really slow and it if this is supposed, and you know, this is kind of more uh, a hint of Ozu to come, uh, you know, he definitely, you know, he favors dialogue over um, depicting events, you know. So, uh, for example, you know, the couple travels around all through Tokyo and uh, to and from Tokyo, and we don't see those moments. We just see them in Tokyo. Then we see them in a different place, and they're just talking about what just happened. And you know, it's it's very, it's kind of like 
rule, you know, you don't, you don't overuse exposition. And yet this is a lot of exposition. And it doesn't feel completely off, off base for me. Uh, you know, it's one of the things I, I think... It's, it's unfortunate that that's how it has to be for this movie. I wish it didn't, but I think that some of the things he was going for require it to be so uh, exposition-based. Um, you know, he, he doesn't move the camera. Uh, it's, it's stationary. You know, I remember talking with um, Cody Clark about Ramekin, his movie, and he does the same thing. He does not move his camera. And, um, you know, I think it moves maybe once in, in all of Tokyo Story. Ozu, and uh, you know, I think the effect that you get from that is uh, a very I don't know, it, it's it helps ground the film, it helps keep you focused and centered on what is really happening and, and really feeling the the edges of of the camera and and the edges of the frame and it's it's a i don't know i i really enjoyed it you know he ozu has a lot of eccentricities uh with the way he kind of um to a small degree feel kind of pulls off this sort of wes anderson-esque um filmmaking uh, you know, very minimalist in a sense, um, you know, very de-emphasized um, and, and you know, kind of an earlier Wes Anderson. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, he's not, you know, trying to, you know, he's not doing all the symmetrical things that Anderson does. He doesn't have the, the comedic sensibilities that Anderson does or anything like that. But just like the altourism is definitely on display and his version of that, his autorism, autorship, autorness, autorism, whatever, uh, Ozu is uh, really kind of struggling here to prove and show how simplistic this story is, I think, um, and, I th- and I'm guessing that's how it is for a lot of his films, a lot of his films. And, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty depressing, you know, life just kind of shown as, as it is, is really disheartening in this movie. And further to the, the point of the plot and, and so forth, you know, it's, it's kind of just this upsetting uh, series of events and you, you meet all of these kids and, and grandkids and, and kid-in-laws that um, this couple have, and they just they just want to connect. They have five kids that uh, are four are still alive that they go to visit, and you know it just they're they're by themselves and they're 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 lonely and uh, they they want to you know sort of reunite with these people that they spent a lot of their lives raising and, and teaching and um, parenting and it just doesn't happen it just doesn't and it's, it's really depressing and it's it's a very very striking depiction of 
uh, that parent-child relationship and how it matures and grows and sometimes uh, ends up a lot further away from where it started. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it, it's not <laughs> really ever joyful. It's, it's a pretty down movie. Uh, so that's Tokyo Story. Um, I gave it a 78. It's, I think it's a really good movie. Really strong, strong film. I'm really excited to dive into more Ozu. It does, he is definitely a director that you need to go in um, understanding what you're getting yourself into. And I think if you don't do that, you end up, uh, you might end up, you know, kind of bored or, or just unprepared for for the methodical pacing of the film. So I would be aware of that. I would be aware of that if you if you check it out. But I really enjoyed Tokyo Story. My number uh, seven of August. Whew. All right, number six. Number six is another foreign language film. It is from 1954, so the year after Tokyo Story came out. It is 124 minutes, just over two hours long. I saw it August 15, 2018, which is the same day as Tokyo Story. My summary, the children of an exile grow up without their parents. I gave this film an 81. Um, and it has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, shit. Uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize, oh man, it happened all over the place. That is off a minute. Never mind, uh, scratch that. We will get to that in a second. Um, actual number six. I, I didn't sort things properly. Uh, so tiebreakers weren't really working for me. Um, number six, I saw August 23rd, 2018, at 96 minutes long from 2018. So short, short movie, hour and a half. It is in theaters right now. As an 81 that I gave it and a 91% Rotten Tomatoes. And the summary, a man searches his daughter's computer after she goes missing. So this is searching. Talked about it already. Did a big episode about it. And uh, I still really enjoy this movie. I think it's great. I love that it takes this sort of unfriended format of just a computer screen and finally makes use of it in a way that I think is fascinating and exceptional. It gets a strong performance from John Cho, from Deborah Messing, who play fantastic uh, characters in this movie. It is a suspenseful movie, it is a thrill ride, and one that I had a lot of fun watching. So, thumbs up to Searching, go see, check it out if you can, I really do endorse it, and uh, I think it's, it's a really important to support uh, this you know, outside of the box filmmaking, uh, so that filmmakers know that their crazy ideas are open to to being explored. Uh, so, as far as Circle Film Awards go, uh, searching um, only thing it has right now is uh, lead actor. I, I don't remember exactly what it had when I put it on the list, but it currently only has lead actor. Alright, so that was Searching. Moving on from Searching. So the movie that I was talking about, 1954. Saw it the same day as Tokyo Story, August 15th, 124 minutes. The children of an exile grow up without their parents. 
81 from me, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Back to where we were. Think we're okay. Same page. Directed by Kenji Mitsuguchi. This is the only film of his I have seen. He is a Japanese film director and screenwriter. Uh, and that film is Sancho the Bailiff. Sancho the Bailiff. Uh, this was a basically a recommendation from a friend who uh, one of their favorite movies of all time. And I really enjoyed the film. So I mentioned uh, children of an exile grow up without their parents. Uh, so the film takes place in medieval Japan, and uh, a man and is is sent into exile. And in the process, his wife and children become separated from him, and uh, the children proceed to grow up uh, amidst some pretty rough, rough circumstances. And the film follows the children and how they can can uh, cope with uh, the circumstances of their parents and what took what happened to them, what happened to their father, the exile. Uh, they, you know, grow up. Uh, we see a lot, a lot of time passes throughout the film. And, you know, it's fairly long, but it's it's a very haunting story that uh, it it you kind of end up what I what I found for me at least is I ended up with this ridiculous amount of whiplash throughout the film because we would shift from one scene where it, there was hope, you know, you felt like, man, these got these kids finally catching a break, they're gonna make it, they're gonna get somewhere they're going to improve their standing they're going to you know finally have something good happen to them and then the immediate next scene is is just terror just how can this be what is going on what is happening why is so much so many bad things happening to them uh, and then the next scene is back to hope and then it's terror and hope and terror uh, which was you know I, I don't remember a film that's done that to me uh, that way before and I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a fantastic, fantastic thing. I think, you know, Mitsuguchi makes this film really lifelike. Uh, you know, for a film that takes place so many years ago, for a film that takes place in such a foreign language and a foreign world from me, uh, you know, life is a ton of ups and downs. And, you know, you can have that... You know, that day where it's like, oh, you know, today my hair looks really good. And then I stepped on a piece of gum that got on my shoe. And then I caught the bus right before it left. And then I missed my stop. And then, you know, I was praised at work. And then I spilled a cup of water on my clothes. You know, you can have a day where just, you know, obviously those are very low stakes things for the most part. But like you just up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And... You know, if you take that and you kind of pull it out and make it bigger and and make the scope larger and you're like, this is my life, this is, you know, I got this right, I got this wrong, this right, this wrong, this right, this wrong, and that back and forth sort of ping pong action uh, really makes this film fascinating to watch and and really impressive in that sense because it doesn't, as much as it did feel like back and forth, back and forth for me, it really felt natural despite all of that my issue um my one issue that i have with the film is there's a moment um so the kids two kids son and a daughter that um sancho has uh 
are the, the male, the son, there's a moment in the film, and it's about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way into the film, uh, and uh, a significant event happens, um, a positive event happens, uh, not to give it away, and as soon as that happened, I felt uh, very confident in what was going to take place in the rest of the movie. I think that, um, you know, for, for the first 66 to 75% of the movie, it is incredible. It, it really catches me off guard. It, it makes me, you know, I'm, I'm constantly unsure of my footing. And then as soon as this one thing happens, I felt like I knew the rest of the movie. And I was, you know, checking off boxes the rest of the way through. Not that that is inherently a bad thing. I, I don't think that just knowing what's going to happen makes a movie bad because there are, you know, how how do you explain really good biopics or, or uh, you know, things like that. Obviously, you can do that. You can pull it off. But it did feel very striking when compared to the rest of the film because the rest of the film is so up and down, is so surprising and... and um, hard to to pinpoint the fact that the last you know 20 to 30 minutes are so easy to track and easy to predict is is very puzzling in in that sense um you know i i which is a shame you know i i really i i still really enjoy this movie i still think it's a very very good movie uh but it, it did have that one hiccup for me that one um issue that I, I, I dealt with. So, uh, yeah, I, I really recommend it. Um, you know, I think a lot of these uh, Japanese films, you know, Sancho, The Bale of Tokyo Story, uh, really just, I don't know, I, I hope more people will, will open themselves up to experiencing these foreign, foreign fantastic foreign films because they are exceptional exceptional so that is Sancho the bailiff which is my number five in August I believe that is correct <laughs> uh, yes all right Sancho the bailiff moving on to number four I've done a podcast episode about this one so I won't take too long on it this is the another 2018 film is 88 minutes long it is the shortest feature-length film on the list I saw it August 31st barely got in under the wire it has an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. I gave it an 84. My summary, the star of a theater performance takes her role very seriously. Uh, the film is much more than that, and that is Madeline's Madeline. Talked a lot about the movie. Really enjoyed the movie. Uh, fantastic film. Um, it is the most nominated film in the Circle of Film Awards right now. Picture, director, lead, supporting, score, special effects, and scene. And, um, yeah, I, I I don't know if you can find it. It's it's really not in a lot of theaters. I felt I was very lucky to find it my own, uh, in my own vicinity. And uh, if you can, I really urge you to go check it out. It's, it's very strange. It is not for everyone, definitely. But I think it is a fantastic film. And um, hopefully, I, I'm really hopeful of Josephine Decker moving forward as a director, and Helena Howard moving forward as an actor. And I can't wait to see what the two of them can do next, uh, either together or separately. So that's Madeline's Madeline, number four. Number three. 
is the last foreign language film that I have on my top 10 list this this month. Uh, I saw this one August 14th, 2018. It is 125 minutes long, a little over two hours. It is from 1987, so fairly much more recent than the 50s movies. Uh, it has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. I gave it an 84, so the same score as Madeline's Madeline, just a better tiebreaker. It is directed by Wim Wenders, starring Bruno Ganz, Otto Sander, Solvig de Martin, Kurt Boy, and Peter Falk among others. Peter Falk, um, as far as I'm concerned, the most recognizable name in that list. Uh, he's kind of like, um, hmm, how, how would you describe him? He's like, I don't know. Uh, he played Columbo on the television show, Columbo. He's been in, he was in The Princess Bride, uh, if you remember The Princess Bride, uh, the he's the narrator slash the grandfather in The Princess Bride. Uh, anyway, Peter Falk. So anyway, this, the story is two angels glide through the streets of Berlin. So those are uh, Bruno Ganz and Otto Sander. They are angels. They are just walking through the streets of Berlin, observing and um, occasionally you know, offering rays of hope, rays of light, rays of... Um, positive uh, feelings to people. And throughout the course of the film, uh, you know, you get this really just fascinating world that it, that it gets, that is explored through the eyes of these angels and the people around them. And it's really... It, it feels like such a existential film, but at the same time, it is a very, very down-to-earth movie, which is fascinating. Uh, I think Bruno Ganz and Otto Sander are just fantastically ethereal as these angels. Um, I really, really love Peter Falk in this movie. Uh, Vim Vendors, if you are unfamiliar, uh, I think you probably recognize the name if you don't recognize some of the movies he's made. Uh, most famous for Paris, Texas. I think Paris, Texas is a better film than Wings of Desire, but both films are exceptional. Um, he, he, you know, he has this great sensibility uh, for these these really straight, not straightforward, but just solemn, emotional films. These emotional moments, you know, you. You know, you, if you've seen Paris, Texas, that, you know, there's that big ending sequence that, that always sticks out. It, it's, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal moment. And Wings of Desire, I don't know if it quite has a moment like that. Uh, for me, um, there's, a, there's an exchange between, I believe, Bruno Ganz and, and Peter Falk that is, that is really, really, I think it's Ganz and Falk. Falk and... I think in one of the angels uh, that is just uh, so telling, um, so telling about what it means uh, to be an angel and how that works and what it can lead to. You know, when one of when one of the angels falls in love, uh, and you know, we learn early on that he that they are are 
not part of the physical world. You know, most people can't even see them. Uh, and that inner struggle is one you can't really relate to in a literal way. You know, no, no human being is actually invisible, despite many of us thinking that we are sometimes. But seeing that in a figurative, metaphorical way is brilliant, is perfect. Uh, you know, and it's not because the angel is ignored or anything. You know, there are plenty of people who would love to experience and, and, and recognize and, and interact with them. It's just that feeling of, you know, I don't have the capacity to do this. I don't have, I can't reach out and touch this person. I, I can't make this physical connection. And... You know, it's a struggle. It's it's something that they wrestle with, and it's not just... And then on the other side, the other one, you know, I mentioned they go around kind of just helping people out here and there, and one of them does that, and it doesn't go well. It is a rough experience, and I don't know how many people have can, can relate to that, but um, I sort of can, uh, not not nearly to the extreme in the movie, but I can somewhat relate to this sort of just desire to help and desire to be there and, and um, do what you can for somebody and, and for that help, that, that goodwill, that um, just that feeling for that to just kind of feel unwanted or ignored and uh, irrelevant and that's it's a real crappy feeling. It's a real crappy feeling. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I really loved Wings of Desire. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was one of the... Uh, I don't have it up in front of me right now, but it was definitely on somebody's top movie list. I'm going to pull it up. Pulling it up. Doing this. Uh, Wings of Desire. It was on... Moran's top uh, 300 list at number 90. And uh, Sancho is number 5 on Peter's top 100 movie list. Uh, and I think Tokyo Story was on somebody too. Yeah, Tokyo Story was on Moran at number 43, as well as Peter at number 2. So, good movies, good movies, great stuff, great stuff. All right. Wings of Desire, number four. No, number three. And um, in August, it has an 84 from me. Highly recommend. Uh, really, really fantastic film. From 1987. Moving on to number two. The oldest film on the list uh, is actually a silent film. And, you know, I... And I'm guessing other people, you know, when you start to watch silent films, it is daunting. You, you know, you're 20, 30, 40 years old. No, with the exception of the artist uh, or, you know, something stylistic like that, you haven't seen a silent film. You don't know the sensibilities of them. And it can take a time to find one that really connects to you and really works with, with the, how you feel about having no dialogue, having no audio. And I've had one or two movies um, that, that really, I think, are good, that are silent. 
Um, especially if you go back to like George Milieu and 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 film and like a trip to the moon and stuff like that. I really I really get behind those. Uh, but this is a movie from 1928. It's 103 minutes long. I saw it August 19th this year. It has 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I gave it an 87. It, uh, the summary: An ambitious man marries a woman, and they have problems. It is directed by King Vidor. Vidor, who, the other film of his I've seen is War and Peace, starring Audrey Hepburn from 1956. So he he made the transition from silent to um, to to talkies uh, quite well. He's got a pretty pretty big resume. Looking at his list here, uh, it stars Eleanor Boardman, James Murray, Burt Roach, Estelle Clark, among others. Names I'm not really familiar with. It was nominated for two Oscars. Best Unique and Artistic Production Picture and Best Director for King Vidor. And the movie is called The Crowd. And so The Crowd is... It's it's a... It's, you know, when you have a silent film... The first thing you notice is the score of the silent film, because they are so be, without the dialogue, without the special effects and, and or not special effects, sound effects and things like that. The, the score really sticks out so much more in a silent film than it does nowadays. You know, it's not supporting the rest of the audio like it does in newer films. It is the only audio, really, and so. To that end, it is usually more obvious, more over the top, more more straightforward, more in your face. Like, really pay attention to this thing. Like, this is like this violin really means it's a sad time for these characters, and that I don't always enjoy. I think it, it's I understand why it's like that. I don't think that's a great element of silent films. The crowd, though, manages to do that in a way that I really really uh, liked and furthermore <clears throat> uh, far more nuanced than I, I expected in a couple of moments uh, the story is fairly straightforward uh, you have James Murray who plays John and Eleanor Boardman who plays Mary beginning of the film they meet uh, John is kind of a reckless kid who you know is just trying to make things as as easy as he can on him and his his wife as they get married and they move they try to start a family and and all of a sudden uh they are met with all this resistance all these road bumps and and problems and setbacks you know whether it's money or stress or tragedy all of these things that happen to them over the course of the film are difficult um, and it all is take and and the brilliant brilliant thing, you know, is the way that the title ties into the message of the film. Because at the end of the day, and I kind of I mentioned this um, actually in the last episode uh, about how you know if you take a step back and you think about what your life is and where you sit in relation to all these other people you know you look out your window and you can see you know half a dozen people walking down the sidewalk you go to the supermarket and 
you know, maybe you're not paying attention to them, but there's 20, 50, 75 other people in that supermarket with you. You're at a Target, you're at a Walmart, you're at a Home Depot, you are at an amusement park, you're at a movie theater, there's always people around you. You know, I'm in an apartment that is empty besides myself, but there's like 16 other apartments in this building, and there's people in most of them, I bet. And, you know, just this awareness, this understanding, like, I am, obviously, like, I'm the most important thing in my own life, to a degree, but, like, in life itself, like, am I even the most important person in this apartment building? Am I the most important person on this floor? Am I the most important person in this town, in this city? in this state, in this country, in this continent, in this world, universe, I mean, the odds are, are astronomically low, right? And that's a earth-shattering idea and thought. It, it diminishes and trivializes literally everything that happens in my life, in anyone's life. And that can be tough, and that can hurt. Uh, and this movie really hammers that home. You know, we spend all this time with these these characters, uh, Boardman and Murray, John and Mary, and the film just leads you down this path of like, man, this is these characters they are so important they mean so much we are just focusing on them and their trials and their tribulations and at the end of the movie they're just part of the crowd i mean what a 90 years ago this movie came out 90 years ago i would love to see this movie remade um i think it's great on its own but I, I think it deserves to be, I think it's a story and a film that deserves to be kind of shown on a bigger scale. Um, man, it is, it is impressive. I, I'm just super, super impressed by this movie. Uh, it really, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's a movie that doesn't feel like it needs to be silent. Uh, you know, it doesn't, suffer from the fact that it's a silent film. Uh, it has incredible performances that aren't as over the top as they normally would be in a film that, that doesn't have any voice in talking. You know, it, it gives equal time and credit to Mary and John throughout the film. It's just, I, I was kind of gobsmacked by it, honestly. Uh, you know, I wasn't you know, you kind of lose yourself in the film as it's going along, and and that ending just really just ha hits you right in the head and and knocks you out. I I loved it. One of my favorite endings of of all time. Um, really, really loved it. Really loved it. Uh, so, if you're daunted by silent films, if if they scare you, if they feel boring or drawl or um, like there's a huge barrier to entry. Uh, certainly there are plenty that people point out uh, that are, are kind of gateway silent films, but I think narratively speaking, I love and would totally recommend The Crowd. I think it is a fantastic film that um, 
deserves its its accolades. Uh, you know, nominated for best unique picture, nominated for best director. Check it out, really. It's it's a very very good film, very 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 good. So my number two this month is The Crowd from 1928 with an 87. Number two in August, which leads to number one, and I have done an episode of this on this movie. I've seen it twice actually, both times this month and this past month in August. It's a 2018 film. Uh, the second, the first time I saw it was August 4th. The second time was August 8th. Um, it's 95 minutes long. Summary: An introverted girl suffers from, through the transition from middle school to high school. Give it a 93. It's a 98 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's directed by Bo Burnham. It stars Elsie Fisher and Josh Hamilton and Emily Robinson and Jake Ryan and Daniel Zolgadri. And it is 8th grade. I don't need to go into too much more detail. I did like over an hour of, of on a review episode for 8th grade. I still think about this all the time. I, I love it. I think it is an exceptional film. I think it, it really hits hard and hits home with a lot of personal but relatable details about being in this time of your life. And I, I think, I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite movies of the year, one of my favorite movies of the decade. Uh, I, I'm in awe. I, I'm so impressed. And uh, Elsie Fisher is phenomenal. Josh Hamilton is phenomenal in the film. Um, currently, at this stage, still has six nominations. Uh, that number has dropped a little bit, um, but it's still nominated for a picture. Elsie Fisher for lead, Josh Hamilton supporting, Bo Burnham for screenplay, uh, score, and scene. It still has nominations for. I think it lost special effects um, to Madeline's Madeline. Kicked it out there. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, eighth grade, cannot recommend it enough. I don't know if it's still playing near anybody, but if you haven't seen it, you should try it out. You should check it out. It's really good. It is really good. So, with that, uh, running down my top ten one more time real quick. Black Klansman, No, The Accountant, Tokyo Story, Searching, Sancho the Bailiff, Madeline's Madeline, Wings of Desire, The Crowd, and Eighth Grade. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really appreciate it. It means a lot. If you would like to check out more episodes, you can head over to iTunes, rate and review, or you can go to the website, circleoffilm.com, and there is a lot more there uh, on top of that. You can get in touch with me. You want to share your top movie list um, of at least 100 movies. I will always, always be open to listening to that. You can find me on Twitter at circleoffilm or email circleoffilm at gmail.com. If you would like to support the show, um, you can do that on patreon.com slash circle of film for as little as eight cents an episode. Thank you one more time, and as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same adieu. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.